Hey, good morning, everyone. I'm not Dave Gustafson. My name is Sam Ingracia. Privileged to be here with you today with Dave's invitation. Uh, I used to serve on staff here a number of years ago. All the oldie goldies in that first service know who I am. Uh, I know a lot of you guys do not, but it's a pleasure to be at the chapel. Always a privilege to uh, have the opportunity to share. I bring greetings from my wife, Vicki, and our family. Uh, I can remember when I was 31 years old, a lot a long time ago, standing up here, being welcomed to the chapel on staff. So we've been long-term missionaries of the chapel, so thank you for your investment in our work. Uh, our ministry is with E3 Partners, and in particular, my focus for really most of my career has been in Colombia, South America, which is the same country where you all are working, of course, in partnership with ICM. International Cooperating Ministries, and I want to thank you for that work, and I certainly believe in that great investment that you're making. Uh, I was recently in Bogota in January myself to have some leadership, regional leadership meetings, and if you come up, ride the cable car up to a mountain that overlooks the city center of Bogota, uh, it's called Monserrate, and there's a Catholic church there and a monastery, and it overlooks the city. So if you look to the left, this is what you see. If you look to the center, this is what you see at about 9,000 feet above sea level. And if you look to the right, this is what you see. And so, I mean, when you're standing there, there's this sweep overlook across this massive world city, which is a third larger than the entire Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex. So it's pretty amazing. Um, so I was there in uh, Bogota to meet with our regional leadership team. Next slide. These folks represent key urban centers from around the whole country of Colombia where we are working with E3 partners. Next slide. Uh, this was a meeting on the North Coast in February of what we call our mentors who are leaders of an indigenous training network that we do on Healthy Church representing seven different departments. It's always about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's always about starting and strengthening local churches, mission churches in those communities. So you guys are partnered with some key, some key churches in at-risk communities in the city of Bogota. So thank you for that work that you're doing with ICM. And then the work that you're doing through E3 Partners as we're across the country of Colombia and so the, God is using the chapel to make an investment. Next slide in this uh, South American nation. It's all about people. It's not about the building, but it's about the people. And a lot of the work we do is very grassroots, starting and strengthening churches and homes and halls and storefronts and schools and in neighborhoods. And it's just uh, amazing work. So we invite you to come with us on one of these mission trips sometime. Um, I want us to say a prayer out loud together. <clears throat> but I'm only going to give you the first two words. <clears throat> and then you're all going to join in. Right, David? And you're going to say it out loud like you mean it and declare it. Are you ready? Okay. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Five verses, 52 words, 
takes about 30 seconds to say it. In any Christianized country around the planet, you can do what I just did. Given the first two words, regardless of the language, regardless of the people group, they're going to say the Lord's Prayer. Likely the widest known prayer in Christian history. In Colombia, they claim Catholicism as the religion of tradition and culture. And so Easter is important to them. Most self-identify as Catholic. The Passion Week leads up to Easter. And so a few years ago, I was in Cali, Colombia with a team. And they say on Holy Thursday night, we're having an all-night evangelical prayer meeting. You guys want to come? So I was like, well, you know, we're working here doing evangelism in all these communities every day, all day. I don't know that we can stay up a whole night, but we'd like to come and see what's happening. We'll stay for a while, and then we need to probably leave. And say, it's okay. So we get on the bus, we go down, and I'll never forget. I can see in my mind's eye. We come around this corner, and I look down, and you know where the all-night prayer meeting is being held? <clears throat> in the soccer stadium. And ringing the stadium in a wide line of people, like five, eight people wide, they're flooding into the stadium. 40,000 Colombians fill that stadium. Uh, It it was amazing. And it came to a point when they thundered in unison, Padre Nuestro, que estás en los cielos, sanctificado su nombre, venga tu reino. And they said the Lord's Prayer. And it was just amazing. And even if you didn't know Spanish, with the cadence and just the Spirit's witness, you could tell what they were declaring as they cried out all night in prayer. It was really amazing. We continue today this great series on the Sermon on the Mount, Thy Kingdom Come. Thank you, Dave Gustafson, for your invitation that I could participate in the series. And Dave assigned me the Lord's Prayer. So actually, I was thrilled when I got the text, to tell you the truth. Good news is... We know this prayer. Bad news is, we know this prayer. (laughs) You know what I mean? Familiarity and seeming simplicity can put us at risk. I'm telling you, put us at risk of missing the richness of the scope of what is in this prayer. Today, we want to look at it in a brief time that we have. So first of all, I want to share with you, from a 30,000-foot view, I, I think... Jesus is inviting us to three vital realities when he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And so first of all, he's inviting us to connection with him. He is not a lifeless idol. God is not a lifeless idol. He is the living God. He mocks the idols in the Old Testament saying they cannot speak, they cannot move, they cannot hear, they cannot communicate but I am the living God, and he seeks our connection with him and his kingdom movement on this earth. He's not distant. He is near. He interacts. He's engaged daily with us, and he's seeking, inviting our connection with him. Secondly, I see him inviting us to communication with him, right? Now, I remember learning the Lord's Prayer as a young boy in catechism classes, and I memorized it pretty quickly, like we all do, right? And, but I kind of was using it like a religious tool. And I can remember believing that if I sinned and then I can, would confess my sins, and then if I recite the Lord's Prayer and some other memorized prayers, 
you know, a number of times or whatever and kind of say as quickly as I could, by the way, it just sort of gave me a penance and I was able to be forgiven of my sins. And I'm telling you, this is not what the Lord's Prayer is about. It's not a spiritual tool. It's not an abracadabra. It's not a magical formula. It's not rubbing the bottle so the genie pops out to grant you your wishes. This is an invitation to meaningful communication in ordinary language to share our hearts and minds with this living God who seeks our connection. So we have connection, we have communication, and the third thing I see is Jesus invites us into relationship. And we're reminded with those first two words, right? Our Father, our Father. Jesus as the Son revealed God, Yahweh God, as Father. That was unprecedented. There's no evidence that anyone gave that kind of emphasis to a relationship with God before to call him Father or even Abba, Father, like Daddy. So Jesus brings us and reminds us in this prayer of our relationship with God. He's our Father when we know Christ as our Savior. So corporately, he's our Father. That's what we said, right? But that means he's my Father and your Father if you're a believer in Jesus, and so just what is Jesus giving us in the content of the Lord's Prayer? And so you remember last week, I trust, Dave preached from earlier in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is cautioning his disciples about motives of the heart. And he talks about three areas of, of good works or piety, giving to the poor, praying, and fasting, and he talked about like your motives in that, and the caution in the first verse of the chapter was this, be careful, do not do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen of men. At least that would be a prideful show, at worst some kind of a religious hypocrisy, the twisted motive would be to my acclaim that you may see me, applaud, accolade, give me favor and praise. But the true motive is our good works would be to God's acclaim, that the people would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. So Jesus gives us this caution in the context, and then he says about prayer in verse 9, this is how you should pray. He didn't say this is what you should pray because if he said that, it'd be like we really would take the identical words as a mantra and a recitation and repeating the prayer. But I want to tell you something very important. It, it perhaps is a key idea that maybe transform the way you see the Lord's Prayer. But what he's giving us is how we should pray. He's really giving us, I'll tell you, a framework or a guide for how to share our heart with the Father. And while there's a vast theology in these 52 words, it's not a comprehensive theology on any one of these topics, but Jesus is addressing four essential cries of the human soul in this prayer and giving us a guide as a framework to express those essential cries. He knows what they are. He invites us to share them. And so that first essential cry is praise, is that we would declare God's glory. Do you hear it? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father, it's who he is. Who art in heaven, that's where he is. 
How will be thy name? That's how he is. He is holy. He's different than us. He is set apart. He is, his name is hallowed. It represents everything that he is. He's personal. He's intimate. He's caring. He's involved. And yet, while he is with us, there's a centrality of his presence that's in another dimension, heaven. And Jesus says, this is the starting line. The cry of the human heart should be to declare the glory of God, the praise of God, to come to him and say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And this puts God in his right place, and therefore it puts me in my right place as I approach him. The second cry is a cry for alignment. Surrender to God's will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, Dave has been telling us, godly Jews were waiting for the kingdom of God. Jesus came announcing the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Many parables, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. And so the kingdom is the essential message and primary message of the teaching of Jesus Christ. It's most, his most frequent topic. And the kingdom represents the reign and the rule and the governance, the governing of the king. Does that make sense? A king rules over a kingdom and his will is done. And that's the essential expression of his kingdom is that his will is being carried out. The dwelling place of God must invade the dwelling place of man. There's something going on in heaven that needs to come down on earth in us, in the church, that may influence society with the light of God. So he is a father and he's a king. Our father who rules over a kingdom that we want to align with in bringing to this earth. And so I wonder sometimes as I observe life and listen to the news and I think the kingdom of darkness must be winning. I tell you that's not the final word. Imagine yourself in the shallows of a beach somewhere and a huge wave is rolling toward you. And you know you cannot thwart it, divert it, or stand up against it because it will overwhelm you. And I tell you, friends, the kingdom of God is here and is coming. And my best advice is get your surfboard ready and ride it because you cannot stop it. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of light is coming and it's sweeping this planet even down into the corners of at-risk barrios that where you're helping advance the gospel like in Bogota. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus wants us to cry the essential expression of our alignment. God's not asking our permission He's calling for our participation. It's a humble prayer of aligning under God. Years ago when I worked in Romania, there was a pastor named Joseph Tson. Stood strong under communism. He was an amazing man of God. He told us one time, when you come into the throne room of the king, you should only have one question. What would you have of me, your majesty? 
not your majesty, I have a list for what I need you to do for me. Wouldn't make sense, would it? And so he's a father, so there's that intimate approach, but he's a king, so it kind of gives me pause because of the authority and the power. But he's a father king, and it's all in perfect balance, and Jesus is calling us to align under it. So we're surrendering to God's will after declaring his glory. The third essential cry is an appeal to God's grace for provision. Give us this day our daily bread. It echoes perhaps Israel in the wilderness. When the manna would fall daily, they would go collect and consume the manna daily. Jesus is reminding us to pray for daily bread. In Matthew 6, he talks about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. I take care of them. How much more valuable are you? Don't worry. I will take care of you. But still, the cry of our heart should be, give us this day our daily bread. And I realize Jesus is talking to people. No electricity. No refrigeration, no freezing, no cupboards with stores of food and canned goods like, like you and I have. I get on my phone, I can order my groceries, bring them to my house, right? Wasn't the scene. Very different. But although as Westerners in our culture and our advancements allow us to plan ahead and sort of be independent, it seems, and store up provision, don't be fooled. Any seeming independence from God is only an illusion. I mean, shut, that down, shut down that internet for like an hour. We go crazy. You can't get connected. What if the electrical grid goes down for a week? Can you imagine? Then we would see how frail and dependent. I mean, I can remember when they had a gasoline crisis in Dallas. Man, everybody's running for the gas pumps. It's like, right? We're pretty fragile after all. And there are people in our world who are like first century yet. Even in those communities in Bogota, they really do live daily bread, hand to mouth. And so let us not be confused. We need to cry out for provision and daily bread from our God, whether we're in an at-risk community or whether we're in affluent northern New Jersey. The fourth essential cry that Jesus addresses moves in another direction. It's not just about physical needs. It's about emotional and spiritual battle as well. And it's to call for God's power. The essential cry is for protection. And there's several things going on here. First is the issue of our sins. Forgive us our debts, our sin. It's the cross of Jesus. We sang about it today. It's the core of the gospel. I need protection from God, his forgiveness for the damage of my sins. But then he says, as we also forgive others. He talks about forgiving others. And reminds us that the sin in my personal life sometimes spills over into relationships and creates trouble and creates damage and strain, right? God reminds us to cry out for the pursuit, to be reminded about the pursuit of not just my reconciliation with God, but the recon my reconciliation with others as well. Life is about making relationships, maintaining relationships, and repairing them. 
and truth could be told across a room full of people like this, there's a lot of need and a lot of repairing probably going on because life is so real and the slope can be so slippery. Not long ago, I was involved in a conversation, ended up one thing, confusion went a little sideways, and I confess to you how quickly I slipped into a bad place over feeling offended over a situation. Very, very careful, and the Lord reminds us, yeah, forgive us our debts as we are forgiving others also. We cannot hold people in a prison from which we ourselves have been freed. Another dimension of protection is lead us not into temptation. Now, God does not lead us into temptation with evil. A better translation here is to not lead us into trouble or trials. The cry of our heart is to ask for God's protection. I'll bet you do it all the time. Do you not pray for protection, protection, protect our kids, protect the kids, protect my job. We're asking God to shield and secure us from the risk of failing and risk of falling. And Jesus knows this and invites us to pray it. I've heard countless prayer requests and have prayed myself over decades, right? You know what I've never heard? Someone say, I have a prayer request, Sam. Please pray God would send me great trouble. <laughs> uh, big trouble, like some crisis. Please pray for crisis. You ever heard that? You ever prayed that? I, Jesus knows we wouldn't pray that. It's, it's, it's amazing, right? The cry of the heart is to avoid danger and trouble, the prospect of failure. I know my weakness. I know my tendency. I know the prospect of failure. I don't trust myself. So, Lord, protect me. Protect my family. Protect these kids. Protect these mission trips. Go before us, God. Yet we all face trouble. There are troubles. There, there are now. There will be. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble he told his disciples, the spirit is willing, the body is weak. Jesus himself is praying in the garden and he says, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not I will, but thy will be done. Jesus was saying, is there a way, God, that I can be protected from this? Even Jesus prayed for protection and so we rightly pray that God would work in our behalf to prevent and to head off at the pass trouble that may put me at risk and come my way. It's okay to pray for deliverance and for protection. And finally, then he says, and deliver us from the evil one. Protection. The translation is not just evil general, it's probably evil one because we believe what the apostle Peter wrote in his epistle is true. You remember what he wrote? Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so that roaring lion loves lamb. He loves sheep. You know who sheep are? That'd be us. 
Tell your neighbor, go ahead and tell them, devil wants to devour you. Tell them. <laughs> devil wants to devour you. That's a good reminder. You know, maybe every day I should tell my wife and she should tell them, just be a good reminder. Okay, we're starting the day. Remember, devil wants to devour you. That might set in a fresh perspective, right? Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, right there at the end, that that's appropriate to pray for this deliverance. This aspect of the Lord's Prayer only but echoes what Jesus prayed for us in the garden also. John 17, verse 15, he's praying to the Father for us, his disciples, and said this. My prayer, Father, is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. Exactly what was in the Lord's Prayer. I suggest to you, if Jesus took Satan seriously, perhaps so should we. So we're invited to connection, we're invited to communication, we're invited into relationship. We've got five words, 52 words, the most known prayer in Christian history. You can say it in 30 seconds. But don't let the familiarity and the seeming simplicity cause you to you and I to miss its relevance, its daily relevance. It's amazing. And very important in conclusion, it's not just a guide or a framework for prayer. It's a guide and a framework to live. Don't just pray it, live it. We're not called just to be prayers, we're called to be players of the heaven in this heavenly kingdom. And so let's pray and live our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's pray and live thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray and live. Give us this day our daily bread. And let's pray and live. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He is God. He is king. He is provider. And he is protector. We declare his glory we surrender to his will. We appeal to his grace. We call on his power. You know the Lord's Prayer. I heard you say it. Let's say it daily. What if we said it daily? What if we entered into it? What if we... So I challenge you. Don't just walk away. You heard another sermon. Go think and say and pray and live the Lord's Prayer. It's so rich and so deep. I pray this morning just scratches the surface to challenge you to think. Man, I know this by heart. Engage it. Amen?